doing, and we're so excited for all of that. Father, I ask that you would just bless this time as we begin to study these chapters of Zechariah that were written 2,500 years ago, but, but Lord, um, we know it's for us today. And uh, we know that Zechariah, as you declare in the book of Isaiah, you know the end from the beginning. Zechariah is just uh, putting down the words that are God-breathed, inspired by you. And there's application for us to be made for us today in the days in which we are living in, because we are living in very unique times. And Lord, I do pray that you would just touch our hearts with your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It is a wonderful time to be in these books, Zechariah, in the books of the prophets, and going into Daniel, because so much is happening in the world today. As, as tonight, we're here, the Olympics are going on in China, and, but here's the thing. We know that there's war that perhaps is imminent in Eastern Europe, as Russia has got uh, troops all along the Ukraine border who could invade any day. Uh, we know that uh, China is making threats and uh, flexing her muscles uh, and wanting to perhaps, uh, as there's talk of and fear of military uh, intervention or uh, invasion of Taiwan, the Middle East, we see upheaval that Iran uh, is uh, again just uh, causing uh, more problems in the Middle East and, and desiring to uh, pursue nuclear weapons, all these things that are going on around us. And what Zechariah does is Zechariah tells us that Jerusalem is going to be a cup of trembling to all the nations. We're going to read that. The nations do play a role in the last days, and I think it's important for us, even as Daniel will tell the Gentiles' empires that will come on the scene from the time of Daniel. And Daniel, of course, on the scene before the captivity. Zechariah is here after the captivity, the 70 years of captivity of Judah, but we know that they speak of the nations, and it's important for us to understand that, that God's in control, that God has a plan, and that brings comfort to me, not only when it comes to our own nation, but the nations of the world, and, and it's exciting for us to, to be informed, and God has allowed us and given us the privilege to look down through time and to see what's going to happen in the latter days. But as we go into chapter 10, let's read, Ask the Lord for rain, in verse 1, In the time of the latter rain, the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. So back in the wilderness, you know, when they were wondering before they came into the promised land, that God told them that if they were obedient, that he would send the latter rains once they went into the promised land. That was part of the blessings. And as we saw, you see it in the historical books, uh, before the captivity, before Israel was taken off in the captivity by the Assyrians, and then the house of Judah by Babylon, that God had used drought. Drought had come to them. Even in the days of Judges, we see the book of Ruth took place in that time that uh, there was drought there in Bethlehem, and uh, that uh, begins that story as uh, we know that um, it took place then. And then there was drought during the time that they were rebelling against the Lord, and he was trying to get their attention. And 
once again he's saying in the time when the restoration of Judah and Israel comes, that he's going to bless again and the rains and the land is going to flourish. There's going to be, we know, as we read in Ezekiel, we read it also in Isaiah, that during the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, that there is going to be the desert that's going to bloom. The Dead Sea is going to have fish in it. And, and there's going to be the healings of the land when the Lord comes back. And, of course, uh, we know that those things will be fulfilled. But here's the thing, that the Lord desires to refresh us in those periods where we feel dry. And maybe tonight that spiritually and uh, maybe in your heart and in your soul, you're just feeling drought. And perhaps the Lord is trying to get your attention. Maybe there's an attitude. Maybe there's carnality. Maybe there's sin that, that has been involved in your life. And you feel that dryness. Turn to the Lord and call out to him. Repent from whatever sin there might be, uh, carnality, and say, Lord, I'm coming back to you. So he wants to refresh you and to bless you. And that's for all of us. So here he's talking about, you know, ask the Lord for rain in a time of latter rains. And even if you're just feeling dry because of circumstances, it's not always because of sin. It's not always because we're involved in carnality or whatever. It might be just because you're overwhelmed with the problems and difficulties and there's sorrow in your heart. There is uh, worry. There's discouragement. You feel defeated. The problems mount up. Ask the Lord to strengthen you and refresh you and bless you. And he desires to do that work as we go through those difficult times. In verse 2 we read, For the idols speak delusions, the diviners envision lies. They tell false dreams, they comfort in vain. Therefore the people win their way like sheep. And they are in trouble because there is no shepherds. We have seen as we've gone through the scriptures of the Old Testament that there's been this indictment against the false leaders. And it really brought problems and trouble to the people. And as the false teachers were on the scene, the false and bad shepherds, they were to bring comfort. They were to bring truth to the people. They were to guide the people. They were to feed the people. And they were to protect. And they weren't doing that. What it happened is they brought trouble to the people. Remember that God said in Jeremiah chapter 3, again, this is before the captivity of, of Judah, that I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So as a shepherd of your family, men, uh, parents, uh, grandparents, as I'm a shepherd of this church, those who are entrusted to us that we are to minister to, to our children and to our grandchildren, me as a pastor of this church, I am to feed you with knowledge and understanding, to have a heart after God. And I know I fall short in that. And none of us are perfect parents or grandparents. But to have a desire, Lord, I want to please you. I want to know you more. I want to have a heart after you. And I want to feed those that have been entrusted to me that I can minister to you, whatever state that you're in. Maybe that, that you're not married. Maybe you're single. You're in a single state. You don't have children. But there are people that you can minister to to feed them with knowledge and understanding and to have a heart for the Lord and to be able to minister to people because they need that. People are hungry right now. I really believe that people are hungry for truth. They don't know where to find it. They don't know where to go and feed. They're feeding in bad pastors. 
You know, they're, they're, they're listening to the lies of the world and of the enemy. And they're being led into that which is false and deceptive. Because the enemy, Satan, he's the God little g of this world. But let's continue as we see this indictment of these false shepherds. My anger, verse 3, is kindled against you shepherds. And I will punish the goat herds. For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock. We know that, uh, as he says, I will punish the, the goat herds. He is speaking of the leaders. The house of Judah will make them as his royal horse in the battle. Verse 4, from him comes the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, and from him every ruler together. They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies, the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because of the Lord is with them, and the riders on horses shall be put to shame. So God is going to fight for his people, and I'm so glad for that. And he will deliver them from false shepherds um, that are out and eventually would, as they would lead the people into captivity before, um, you know, Zechariah here comes on the scene. And God doesn't want that to happen to them once again. Now, in verse 4, that phrase, from him comes, is speaking of the tribe of Judah. And the tribe of Judah, we know, is going to come and did come. Uh, it's a reference to Christ. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. So we read in the New Testament that uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. And he who believes on him will no means be put to shame. So the Lord, he's our foundation. He's our cornerstone. The second point that we read in these verses that from Judah will come a tent peg. That's another reference to Christ. In Isaiah chapter 22, verses 22 and 23, we're told that the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he will open and, and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one will open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place, and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. So he's our security. But also, uh, as we read those verses, it reminds me of Revelation chapter 3, that that is... Uh, what Jesus writes to the church at Philadelphia, the faithful church, the, talking about the keys of David and, and that he opens doors that no one shuts and shuts doors and no one opens. And that is true for you and for me, that he wants to open doors for you. And as he's going to open that door for you, no one can shut it. But also he's the one that shuts doors. And don't get discouraged if you feel like that, Lord, you're just shutting doors right now. There's a reason for that. And he, as he shuts doors, no one can open. Don't try to go through that door that he has shut for you. But we can trust in the Lord because he cares for us. And we can cast our cares upon him. He's our security. He's the one that wants to lead us and guide us in every area of our lives. And then the third point that we read here in these verses is that Judah will come the battle bow. Um, and again, it speaks of Christ. As Isaiah 63, verses 2 through 4, Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one's was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury, and their blood is 
sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is my heart, and the year my redeemed has come. Uh, so he's our victory, and it reminds me of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, that similar uh, phraseology is used. That you know he's trodden the, trodden the winepress and and um, the blood on his garments, and he's going to come. And vengeance belongs to the Lord, and he will judge the nations at that time. But we have victory, folks. Remember that. We have victory. And the battles that we fight now, that we fight not just for victory, but from victory. Because the enemy is coming against us, and the world comes against us. But ultimately, we have victory, and Jesus Christ will bring victory to us. In that time when he brings us home, when he comes to rule and reign, and we're going to rule and reign with him. And then lastly, in these verses here, Judah, every ruler shall proceed from him, which speaks of his rule and reign, that Israel's victory is in Christ as the Gentile nations come to Jesus. And of course, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, telling us how it's going to be out of Bethlehem that the Messiah is going to be born. And he's the ruler of the kingdom that is to come. And he did come, and he's going to come again. He came the first time to die for our sins. We looked at that as we finished Matthew uh, this last Sunday, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we preach Christ crucified because that's where our victory is, is at the cross and the empty tomb as he conquers sin and death. Well, let's continue in verse 6 of chapter 10 of Zechariah. And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside. For I am the Lord their God, and I will hear them. Those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man. It's speaking of up north, uh, a name of the house of, of Israel. Against It's tied into the house of Joseph. It's speaking of Israel. Those, um, they will have hearts that shall rejoice as if with wine. Yes, the children shall, shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. And verse 8, I will whistle for them and gather them. For I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. So God will have mercy on the house of Israel here. Those references, the house of Joseph, Ephraim, another name for Israel. And they will rejoice in the Lord. So not only will they be strong, but joyful, and they will increase once again. In coming to the Lord... Um, it's, it's a joyful thing. He desires to make us strong in our weaknesses. He wants to increase us, that is, increase our love and knowledge and faith of him. And it's wonderful, the work that he wants to do in us. But in verse 8, as we read this, I will whistle for them and gather them. It reminds me of uh, Jesus said that, uh, that I'm the good shepherd, and, and those who know me, my sheep, know my voice. And one of the things that shepherds, I remember seeing this in one of the trips to Israel. We were near Bethlehem, and there was a shepherd boy that was out there with his sheep and with his goats, and he whistled. And there's a certain whistle that they would have, and those sheep knows that whistle. Uh, they recognize the whistle, and they would come to the shepherd. And it was just amazing to, to look at and then you know look at and think about this verse here. The Lord says, I will whistle for them and gather them. He's going to whistle for his people. He's going to gather them together. This is a promise that's going to come to pass in the restoration of Judah in, in Israel. And speaking uh, as 
In verse 9, I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live together with their children, and they shall return. And I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I'll bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no more room is found for them. So in this restoration, again, when is the restoration going to happen? We're going to see that Zechariah is going to speak about that they will go through tremendous uh, difficulties and tribulation and fire as we finish the book here in the tribulation period. Uh, But then at the end of the tribulation period, that the Lord's going to come back. He's going to save Jerusalem. He's going to save his people. They will recognize that Jesus is their Messiah. They will say, where did you get those wounds? As they will mourn for him. We're going to see that here as we continue on uh, in tonight's study. Uh, Amazing. And then as Jesus comes back the second time, that he will gather them into the land. And he will gather the Jews and restore the nation and judge the nations as well and establish his kingdom. So that's all this time frame that's going to happen during this time. And so he, um, here in verses 9 and 10, what we read, speaking of them remembering the Lord and coming back into the land. And we see a partial fulfillment of that. Ezekiel speaks of that as well, that the dry bones come in a nation coming together and being born again and they're going to come back into the land and rebuild the ancient cities and plant the land we've seen a partial fulfillment of that since 1948 but the ultimate fulfillment is going to be when the lord comes back and let's finish chapter 10 in verse 11 he shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea and the depths of the river shall dry up and the pride of assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of egypt shall depart so i will strengthen them in the lord and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. So they in the restoration will walk in security and peace that the Lord brings. And then chapter 11 kind of switches gears once again back to, um, you know, dealing with the, the uh, false shepherd, shepherds and um, the desolation of Israel. Verse 1 of chapter 11, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down, and there is sound of wailing shepherds, for their glory is in ruins. There is the sound of roaring lions, for the pride of the Jordan is in ruins. So many believe that these verses are a prophecy concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, that actually happened in 70 A.D. by the Romans. We know that uh, Rome came in after the death and, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ nearly uh, 40 years later, uh, that Rome came in and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the second temple, and the Jews were scattered throughout all the nations, even as Jesus said that that would happen. And he said they'll build an embankment around you, and they'll... You know, he speaks of the devastation and destruction and death that was going to come to them. And here, many believe that this is speaking of that time. But let's continue in verse 4. For thus says the Lord my God, feed the flock for slaughter, whose owners uh, slaughtered them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich and their shepherds do not pity them. Uh, For I will no longer, verse 6, pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. But indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, and I will not deliver them from their hand. So Zechariah speaks of the false shepherds that feed the flock for slaughter. 
for destruction. And anyone who claims to be a shepherd who is not feeding people the word of God is really, really bringing them to a place of, of destruction, of desolation fattening up for deception and disappointment and defeat. And that's why it's so important that we be feeding the people that have been entrusted to us the word of God, the truth of God, training and raising our children in the admonition of the Lord, that we are to be doing uh, just that here at Calvary Chapel. I am to be committed to teaching you the word of God. And and I um, ask God's help for that, to go through the scriptures and that's what uh, is a priority, is feeding you the Word of God so you can be strengthened. But any pastor, or any leader that does not do that and gives worldly advice and all of this is just leading the people to defeat and be weak. In verse 6, as they were brought in to only leave and be dispersed again uh, after you know, 500 years as I read this, um, that they shall attack the land and I will not deliver them from their hand. I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand. It's really a sad verse, but let's continue in verse 7. So I fed the flock for slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock. I took for myself two staffs, the one I called beauty and the other I called bonds, and I fed them. So Zachariah's kind of acting this out, feeding uh, the flock and had two staffs. The staff was the tool of the shepherd. We know that. One was called beauty, which speaks of mercy and grace. And the second is called bonds. It means unity. And God is the one that brings us together by his grace. We are saved by his grace. He brings us together into the church. And we are to have unity in the body of Christ. I think that in the church right now, there has been more distraction and even more division than I've seen in my years of ministry because, you know, the day in which we're living in and also the culture we see around us and the challenges that are among us, that the church is distracted and and fractured in so many different ways. And we always find our unity, listen, in Christ crucified. Paul came to Corinth and said, I I am determined to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, I know there's false shepherds out there, false teachings out there more than ever, and we are to expose them. We are to warn people against the false shepherds and false teachings and doctrines, and some churches are adopting some of those false truths uh, that we see, but there is to be unity in the body of Christ, and our unity is found in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And here we see that um, that, that speaks of that. Uh, and I pray for us here at Calvary Chapel that we would come together, that we would come together. And as we do, one in Christ, with one heart, one accord, um, just desiring to please him and grow in the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, I dismissed the three shepherds in one mouth. My soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Now, this is um, those three shepherds dismiss. Uh, not sure quite what it's speaking of. It could be speaking of the three offices and positions. Some have suggested a prophet, priest, and king. Uh, Jesus fulfills all three offices. When Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, all three offices, uh, perhaps it's speaking of, of that destruction, were abolished. There was no more you know, priests. There was no more uh, prophets on the scene. There was not a king, of course, 
we know that after the Babylonian captivity, there's no more king. Um, and the prophets and the priests would come back. But uh, here it may be speaking of those things. And let's continue in verse 9. Then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die, and what is perishing perish. Let those that are left uh, eat each other's flesh. And so just that which is perishing, that which is, you know, needs to perish, that which is dying needs to die. Um, and again, perhaps a reference to Rome sieging Jerusalem that happened for months, and it is recorded that the people turned to, you know, cannibalism um, as God's hand of protection was withdrawn. But what I pray for us in the church as we make application for us, Paul would say, you know, don't devour one another. And I pray that we would not do that, that there is truly unity, because God wants to use us. There's people out there that are dying, that they, they don't know the gospel. And we need to be about the business of bringing truth and loving people and serving people and keeping the main thing the main thing, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified, and reaching out to people. And I pray that we do that together, in especially the days that we are in. And those things that need to die, let's let them die. Those things that need to perish, that don't have any of eternal value that can disrupt us or distract us, let it go. And let's be about the things of eternity and the, the kingdom of God. But as we continue here in um, verse 10, that we read, And it took my staff, beauty, and cut it into, that it might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. So the faithful remnant, they understood what was going on, even though it was hard words to hear. And as we read, as we're going to go through Daniel, as we read the prophetic uh, scenario, even as we will see that going through the last three chapters of the book of Zechariah, sometimes it's hard to hear it. The tribulation that's going to happen. The Antichrist is going to come on the scene. The, the God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. All those things that we read, we can understand what's going on, but sometimes it's hard to hear. And what God has to say about the last days, that we know that there will be tribulation, Jesus said, such as the world has never seen or will ever see again, but that we can be discerning of the times and to remember this, that as we study end-time prophecy, it's not to scare us, but to prepare us. I want to know. I want to be prepared. I want to be wise and discerning in the days in which I'm living in. Plus, it causes me to keep my eyes on the Lord, and it causes me to, to be one that, that I set my eyes on eternity. I know that this world is not where it's at, but the Lord's coming back. And I want to be watching. I want to be wise. And I'm excited to know that the Lord can come for the church at any time in the rapture of the church and take us home to be with him. So, you know, it can be hard to read some of these things, but it makes me pray more. It makes me watch more. It makes me want to just be wise and discerning of the days in which we're living in. And it prepares us for what is going to happen in the last days. Let's read verse 12. Then I said to them, it is agreeable to you. Give me my wages, for if not, reframe. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. 
And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that pricely price they set on me. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Interesting verse. It probably reminds me, uh, or you, it reminds me as well, of what we read in the betrayal of Judas, of Jesus, for 30 pieces of silver. And we know that it was, uh, as we read this, fulfilled by Jesus, being betrayed by Judas the betrayer in Matthew chapter 27. We just went over that. And it's interesting that as we remember that when we read in Matthew chapter 27, that we read that it was fulfilled by Jeremiah the prophet. But do you remember as we went through the book of Jeremiah, or perhaps you've read it, Jeremiah doesn't mention it. Zechariah does here, but Jeremiah doesn't. So some people, they, they, the critics of the Bible say, you see, the Bible's wrong, you can't trust it, there's a mistake. Well, there's, there's explanations that perhaps that um, why that Zechariah mentions it. We don't read it in Jeremiah, even though Matthew says that is uh, fulfilled by Jeremiah, that is the betrayal of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Some think that maybe it's an error by copyist. Matthew wrote Zechariah. Was to, but the early copyist wrote Jeremiah. It could be that something that Jeremiah spoke this prophecy, but it was Zechariah that actually recorded it. That's the explanation. But I think probably uh, the one that um, I lean towards is some think that Matthew's referring to the scroll of Jeremiah, which includes the book of Zechariah. So Zechariah here, speaking of it, we know that it would be fulfilled 500 years later by Jesus. And when Judas betrayed Jesus, of course, he took the money, he throws it at the feet of the religious leaders, and they end up buying the potter's field as we saw it. And then in verse 14, as we finish chapter 11, then I cut into uh, to my other staff bonds that I might break through the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And the Lord said to me, Next, take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd, for indeed I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those who still stand, but he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear the hooves in pieces. And verse 17 is a very interesting verse here. That woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. I think that as, as Zachariah acts out this shepherd that doesn't care for the sheep the way that a shepherd should, I think that verse 17 is specifically is speaking about the Antichrist. The Antichrist that we know from Revelation chapter 13 is going to have a head wound and it's going to seem like he is dead, but then he's going to resurrect, he's, go he's going to be a world leader. And here we see here to the worthless shepherd, uh, and who leaves the flock, uh, a sword shall be against his arm. Uh, it seems like his, his arm is injured, his right eye on his head uh, withered, uh, he's blinded. Uh, speaking of what Revelation chapter 13 tells us uh, about the Antichrist, what will happen. And uh, so a reference, I believe, to the Antichrist that will come on the scene. I want to read it to you uh, that... It says, and I saw on one of the heads, speaking of the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13, that one of his heads, as it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all of the world marveled and followed the beast. So a reference to the Antichrist here by Zechariah, 
I believe. And then chapter 12, uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14, amazing prophecies concerning Jerusalem, um, them recognizing Jesus, what's going to happen in the tribulation period. Let's begin to look at that, the coming deliverance of Judah that will come to them. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel, thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. So this section, we will see that the burden. Now remember that, that when we were in Isaiah and Jeremiah, that those chapters that dealt with proclamations against the nations, that oftentimes we would read the burden against Damascus, the burden against Moab, the burden against them. And it spoke of, of, of God dealing with them. Here it is translated oracle or prophecy concerning Israel. And we will see that it speaks of Israel's deliverance that will be in the last days at the end of the tribulation period. So here the section begins with the praise of God's power. He's in control. He's our creator. He's going to work on our behalf. He's already delivered us by sending his son to die on Calvary's cross. But we see what he does for Israel specifically. Behold, verse 2, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall be happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. This is really amazing because the time is coming when all the nations will gather against Israel. And what we are going to see in the prophetic scenario is that Israel is going to be more and more isolated. Now, our country, America, we've been allies with Israel for the most part. We have helped Israel, but the time's going to come when Israel, as it says here, is going to be just a, a, a heavy stone for all the people. Um, and it's going to be where all the nations are going to gather against it. We will see that repeated as we go through here this book. And ever since 1948, as Israel became a nation, it, that Jerusalem has been a cup of drunkenness or tremble. It's the most controversial uh, city in all of the world as um, we see it, and it will continue to be. Now, Israel, when it became a nation, that was the hour hand of the last days of, of end-time prophecy. Jerusalem is the minute hand, and then where the temple is going to be rebuilt, the Temple Mount area is the second hand. And so we're going to see that Israel is going to be isolated more because God is going to show them that I'm your protector, that I'm real. They're not going to depend on the United States. They won't be able to. We see that in Ezekiel 38, that there's a confederation of nations that protest on behalf of Israel, but they don't get involved. They don't help Israel. Will you keep that in mind? Because I don't care any president or former president that says that Israel, that you survived because of me and my decisions, that is wrong and it's not biblical. And we know that Israel is not dependent upon any world leader. It's not dependent upon any president or past president. They may have had policies that helped them, that were a benefit. But to hear, you know, that, you know, Israel, that you would have fallen if it wasn't for me, uh, really concerns me. Uh, because we know that the Bible says that the Lord says, I will defend Israel. 
And all the nations are going to come against it, and it will be a heavy stone. Very remarkable prophecy made 2,500 years ago saying that Jerusalem will be a burden to all the nations, and we see the problems of controversy. And we're going to see that, I believe, continue here as we're getting closer to the return of the Lord. And as uh, the nations of the world are going to meet just north of Jerusalem in the end of the tribulation period in the battle of Armageddon, and it's, it's Jerusalem's being a heavy stone for the nations that will not be able to break her into pieces. Let's continue reading in verse 4, that in that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its riders with madness, I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength, and the Lord of hosts of uh, their gods. So we read here, remarkable what God will do. As uh, the Jerusalem becomes a, a cup of burden, uh, of trembling, uh, a heavy stone to all the nations that surround seeking to destroy Jerusalem, and every horse is going to be confused. God is going to cause that. And we see that even as in Ezekiel. Remember in Ezekiel 38, it speaks of how those invading armies that come in, that could be the next major war in the Middle East with Russia and Iran and Turkey and those other nations that are going to come into the mountains of Israel, that God will destroy those nations, those armies that will come against Israel and the bows will fall out of their hands and he'll send fire and there'll be pestilence. We see God is going to save them. We see that in the Old Testament with Gideon. Remember that the Midianites were confused and turned on each other. So God's going to fight for them. Keep that in mind. He will protect Israel. He's going to bring them to the point of they're going to not be able to trust in the United States or any other allies that they're going to have to turn to the Lord and call out to the Lord. And he desires for us to know this, that he's the one that wants to fight for us. Listen, it's a blessing when we have help. It's a blessing when we have, you know, those who um, are there to, to provide for us, there to help us, we're to do that in the body of Christ. But listen, Maybe you're listening tonight and you feel like there's no one around. There's no one to help me. He is your hope. He is your hope. And look to him. And know that he wants to show himself strong on your behalf. The children of Israel are backed up against the Red Sea and two mountain ranges on both sides. And Moses said, lift your eyes and see the salvation of the Lord. And lift your eyes to him and he'll make a way. And he'll provide. And the Lord wants us to come to that place where we are depending on him for the needs that we have. And he'll send people into our lives to help us and guide us and whatever it is. But we ultimately depend on him. And in verse 6, as we continue here, In that day I'll make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the woodpile, like a fiery torch in the sheaves, and they shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, Jerusalem. The Lord shall save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah." Verse 8, on that day that the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the one who is feeble among them in that day who is, uh, shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like 
God, like the angel of the Lord before them, it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. The Lord says, I will do that. And God will empower the people for victory and defend Jerusalem. And even here is interesting, the weakest in Jerusalem shall be brave and courageous. They're going to be like David. David killed giants. David was a great warrior. They're going to be all like David. It is interesting when you study, and we won't go into it tonight, but when you study the wars of Israel and the Six-Day War and the Yom Kippur War, the bravery the, 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 that uh, there's David-like heroics that are documented in those wars. Um, in 1948, 1956, uh, in those wars, uh, incredible stories of, of those who you know, were like David and defeated the enemy, and that's what's going to happen in the last days. And then as we finish here tonight, in verse 10, amazing uh, portion of scripture, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him who grieves for his firstborn. And in that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadad Raman in the plain of Megiddo. Uh, the plain of Megiddo, of course, is where the last world war is going to take place at the end of the tribulation period. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, the wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and the wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. Listen remarkable repentance of the nation as God will pour out his spirit on Israel their eyes are going to be opened up and they're going to look on the one whom they pierce speaking of Jesus and the fulfillment of Romans chapter 11 verse 26 that in that day all of Israel shall be saved they're going to mourn and you know what that is one of the signs of true repentance true repentance is there's a mourning for sin there's going to be the mourning at Hadad Remon refers to actually uh, historically where Josiah's death, the last of the godly kings, took place in the valley of Megiddo. But it, it's going to also be where the last world war takes place. And then as we go into chapters 13 and 14 next time, again, remarkable prophecies. But remember this, that Israel and Jerusalem is the epicenter of the end time prophecy where the nations will turn against Jerusalem, God's chosen people, and God will defend Jerusalem, and then their eyes will be opened up at the end of the tribulation period. But first they're going to go through the fire, and they're going to go through difficulties, and we'll look at that next time. Father, we thank you. Thank you for these incredible prophecies that are given to us. And we know that you have a plan for Jerusalem, you have a plan for the people of Israel, but you have a plan for us. For us as believers, we have a glorious plan. And that is you're going to come for your church. You're going to take us home to be with you. And then we're going to come back with you. And we're going to rule and reign with you during this reign of Christ. And then we'll be in a new heaven and a new earth and new Jerusalem for all of eternity. So, Lord, I want to pray for those right now who, Lord, just feel dry, who are, uh, have need, that you would make them strong, that you would refresh them, that, Lord, that you would bless them. And that as we study these things and go into the book of Daniel on Sunday, that we would know that you are faithful to bring these things to pass. And the promises that you give to Israel, that we know that they will be fulfilled. 
And the promises that you give to us as believers will be fulfilled as well. So I thank you. I pray you bless everyone here. Um, and thank you that we can be in your word tonight. Bless our evening and the rest of our week. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, hope to see you on Sunday. God bless you.